Today we're going to talk about winter hiking skills. What do you need to know before you venture out into the woods in the winter? You need to be a little bit more prepared when you're heading out there in the cold winter weather. Things can go bad really fast. Experienced hikers, I know from my own experience, can have mishaps and accidents. Being prepared literally could be a life and death situation. We have with us today past president of the Catskill 3500 Club and a past secretary of the Catskill 3500 Club. They're both 3500 Club hikers and winter hikers and are hike leaders. I'd like to welcome Tom and Lori Rankin. Tom, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So start off by, in your class, what is the first topic or issue you discuss with your students when you're teaching this class to people? The first thing we talk about is how very important the conditions are in winter. Uh, in summer, uh, you can say it's a, not the most perfect weather day, and it's, it's okay to still go hike. But in the wintertime, uh, the conditions are extremely important. So we talk to people about checking the weather, not only for where they are, but for where they are going hiking, because they have to travel to get there. And then also looking at the weather and the conditions at the trailhead where they may start their hike and considering what the conditions may be like as they climb a peak, because the conditions could be very, very different at the summit. Um, so sometimes the best choice is to stay home. If the weather is too extreme or if your car isn't prepared or any of the other conditions aren't met, the best thing to do is to keep getting ready. We've had that situation ourselves. I have a group of friends I hike with. There's three of us. And there have been a couple of occasions over the last three years where we've just had to the night before say, you know, the weather just looks really bad. We either don't want to be driving home in bad weather or driving out there or like I said, looking ahead, how, what kind of, what are the conditions of those trailheads? Are we going to be able to park our cars? Thanks. Yeah. As you alluded to the conditions in winter, um, I guess, the way we put it is the margin of error is much less, right? You can yeah. get away with a lot more in the summer than you can in the winter. Yes. In the winter, if you make an error, in fact, that error could be deadly. So we, we talk a lot about making sure you've done your research and your preparation and you're very aware of what the conditions are going to be and you come prepared for those conditions or, in fact, you decide to turn back. Um we want to make sure that uh, you are familiar with your driving route. A lot of the trailheads are in very remote locations. And they don't have cell service. Many don't have cell service, and many roads actually are, it's possible that they're not even open in the wintertime, so you need to consult your maps. And right now, unfortunately, some of the roads are closed because of the flooding that happened a few weeks ago. So you might need a plan B even on your driving yeah, that's been the case with our hikes. We've, you know, with the storms and the damage that occurred as a result of them, we've had to re reexamine how we're, what hikes we're doing, how are we getting to those trailheads, and if they're even accessible. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's impacted. Right, we've been impacted directly. The friends I hike with by those conditions. Another thing that's happened in the last year or so is there's been a tremendous increase in hikers, uh, not only in the summer but even in the winter. We're noticing that trailheads fill up very quickly. Uh, parking lots are overflowing. We strongly urge people not to park on roads, and there's there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. Hopefully, they're obvious to most people, but Unfortunately not. We've seen people now getting ticketed for parking on the roads. Um, I sincerely doubt they would tow your car away in the winter, but the tickets aren't cheap. And uh, in terms of uh, preparation, again, it, it might be good to have a plan B, if, if even if something like the parking lot is an issue. If the parking lot's full, maybe just turn around and, like you said, where's the next place we can hike? And see yeah, if you like park if you're going to go to Panther, but that lot is full, go try Slide. And if that lot's full, go try Fern Big Indian, you know? Yeah. The other thing to take into consideration, which a, a lot of people fail to do in the winter, is that uh, the parking lots are not going to be plowed out like the mall parking lot. Uh, <laughs> many of the parking lots are actual snow plow turnarounds, and they may be plowed out. But many of them are also uh, New York State DEC, and they simply don't have the funds to have somebody out there um, continuously plowing trailhead parking lots. And, of course, they're spread out a great deal. There's one person who drives a pickup truck with a plow on the front for the DEC, and if it snows heavily on Friday afternoon, they're probably not going to be out there until Monday morning at the earliest. Their, their, their priority is the main roads, getting the main roads cleared up. Right? Well, there, there's this, the town and the county and and this and this you know and DEC, and they all have different objectives, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The state, the town, and the county want to make sure that people can drive the roads and get out of their their driveways, and DEC wants to at least at some point make sure that the uh, trailheads are plowed out. But there isn't a big push to do that necessarily. Right. We, we use winter tires, good winter tires on our car so that they're helpful getting in and out of parking and to the parking areas. We also carry a shovel with us, and we have shoveled our way into and out of parking, parking lots many times. And we also either bring some sand or some kitty litter, something for some traction if we need it as well. And this, this very morning, we were trying to hike up to a fire tower, uh, Bramley, not on the 35er list, but uh, the plow hadn't been there yet or the sander, and we got about 100 yards up the road, and it was as far as the car was going to go. So we had to turn around and go back and rethink our plan for the day. Well, as far as having your car prepared, I'm thinking, well, yeah, you could start up a trailhead and up, up to a peak, and there's no snow. But And this has happened where to just in, in my, you know, you, you've done more hiking up there than I have, where it starts to snow on your way up there. You get back down to your car. It might not be snowed in, but you may you may need to be prepared to shovel a little bit of snow or at least have some traction. Like I said, sand or kitty litter in there to help get you out of your spot. Oh, yeah. We we know someone who had to shovel three times in one day. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that we do also mention to people about trailheads and trailhead parking, again, for your own safety, is that you should try, if at all possible, to back your car into the parking space. Um, if uh, it's a very cold day and your battery should get drained or if you've left your lights on by chance and the car needs to be jump-started, uh, it's much easier, of course, to get to your car. 
Um, that's never happened to me, but I have used my car to jumpstart other people's car. So backing into the space is important. Um, it's also important when it comes to your car and being prepared. Most people now have um, an electronic key fob to get in and out of their car, and that is operated by a battery. And that battery could actually die over the course of the day if it's extremely cold. Um, so you want to check your owner's manual to find out how to get in your car if your electronic key fob does not work. Uh, I want to I I say these are great pointers because we just don't think about these things in the other three seasons. No, right? we don't. <laughs> so if you're brand new, just saying, hey, you know what? I want to go hike that nice snowy mountain today. And, and I'm sure you've seen it like I have. People, you just walk past and not to be judgmental, but you just say to yourself, they just don't look prepared at all. Yeah, we run into plenty of those people, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as long as we're talking about electronics, there's one very important phone number that people should put in their cell phone, and that's the uh, DEC's emergency number. It's 518-408-5850. And you can, you can try that number. If, if it doesn't work for some reason, you can always try 911. But basically, 911 is going to call that number under the covers anyway. So that's the fastest way to get rangers, uh, you know, to a backcountry location. And try to be as specific as possible. You know, if you say you're on Cornell... To a nine one one operator, they might send someone to the college, you know. Right. But if you if you tell a ranger that you're on Cornell, they'll know exactly where you are. We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards. Every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they'll likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible high-quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. Now, the other issue we deal with as winter hikers is we have less daylight. So, absolutely, talk a little bit about how a, winter, a newbie or anybody in winter hiking approaches the, the different mindset of hiking in terms of time frame you have to hike in. Yeah, well, of course, if you're coming from Long Island or somewhere far away, it can be difficult to get on the trail early. But we we try to get on the trail as early as possible in the winter. Um, I mean, on the on the days of the early winter, you've only got like eight or nine hours of daylight. And sometimes in the mountains, it, it feels like even less because the mountain might be blocking the sun, you know. So it may not be very bright for a while. So we've, depending on the hike, um, we've started and ended a hike with headlamps, you know. We, we do encourage people to do the earlier start under headlamp because then you're, um, you have a higher energy level. 
Um, if you do the headlamp finish in the dark, by then there's some fatigue factor that comes in. So seeing shadows rather than seeing clearly um, could cause a bit of a bit more of a safety issue. So therefore, we do recommend the earlier start time. But the most important thing about all of that is you have to, in your preparation for your hike, be aware of sunrise and sunset times so that you can, in fact, plan accordingly. Yeah, and as a practical thing, uh, there's a lot more hours of daylight in late March than there are in late December. That's something my friends and I do is we have what we call our turnaround time, where we say, okay. we know, all right, the sun's going down at five o'clock. If we're not, you know, in a reasonable, at a reasonable distance or reasonably close, we're just turning around. Um, is that something well, you'd recommend? We, we don't actually ever set a strict turnaround time in advance. What we do is we're constantly monitoring the conditions ourselves. Um, how much food do we have? How much water do we have? How close are we to the top? Do we really want to go and do that second mountain kind of thing? So, you know, we could turn around at nine o'clock in the morning or we've, we've turned around at like three 30 in the afternoon on a winter hike in the Adirondacks. And that might sound like, Oh my God, what, what are you thinking? But we were prepared. We had water, we had food, we had equipment. And, uh, you know, we, we got out late under headlamp, but nobody got hurt, you know? So, Saying that ahead of time that you're going to turn around at 12 o'clock, you could be limiting yourself, right? I mean, but but on, on the flip side, you should always be thinking about, should we go on or not, right? You should evaluate that constantly during the day. Yeah, I've got to say, we've been softening up on that. And as, you, as I'm listening, I think, okay, we've definitely softened up on that. We went to Eagle the other day and got a late start. And we didn't even talk about a turnaround time. Now that I think about it, we just said, all right, everybody has a headlamp, right? Yes. And and we moved on. I think our, as our confidence has grown, I think we're mm -hmm. feeling better just knowing, okay, the three of us know we bring the right gear every time. We have what we need. Yep. That, that, that's part of preparation is, you know, you might, might not want to run out and go do Lone and Rocky in the wintertime as your first winter hike, right? You might want to start with Wyndham High Peak or Balsam Lake or Bear Pen and Vly. So you, you kind of give your gear and yourself a, a tune-up or a workout and see if you're up for the next level. So that may lead us into our next topic here, physical preparation for winter hiking. Uh, what, what would you recommend versus what people might try to do in the other three seasons? Well, one of the things that we always say is that there's nothing better for hiking than hiking. And uh, for ourselves, we, we hike year round, but we do make adjustments based on, uh, again, planning ahead. So usually somewhere around the 1st of October, um, any physical activity we're doing, whether it's taking a walk in the neighborhood or whether it's on the treadmill, we actually add ankle weights. Um, the ankle weights, uh, of course, you can, uh, at least the ones we have, you know, you can put different weight measurements in them. And so over time, you can increase those a bit. But our goal in doing that is that by the time we put snowshoes on, our legs are not going to notice the extra weight on the bottom of our legs because we've had the ankle weights there. We also increase the um, amount of gear that we have in our packs over the course of the winter. And so that for me usually starts in October by adding um, perhaps micro spikes or hill sounds 
<clears throat> and then next I add crampons maybe in October when things start to get icy. And then finally I'm <clears throat> I'm wearing my snowshoes. So we make sure that we're hiking all the time, but we also add that extra weight um, slowly over time so that we get used to it. Now, obviously not everybody can hike four times a week like we do, but <clears throat> you should at least try to work in some aerobics into your schedule. Um, just hiking on weekends being used, used to be, we just used to be weekend hikers primarily. That, that doesn't cut it. You know, you'll find that whatever you did last week doesn't really help you next week. Right. That's just, that's not enough aerobics. All right. Uh, yeah. I hear what you're saying about if you wait until that first snow or when it's officially winter to throw all that gear in there, that's that's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of extra weight to be carrying up the mountain. Yeah, it, it, like it, like I said before, it, it's good to not just to build up to a hike, but to build up physically and to build up even <clears> mentally. <throat> you know. Well, after my first year of winter hiking, I've got to share this that uh, I was in much better shape for backpacking. Yes. When I when I put on my 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 backpack for my overnight backpacking trips, I actually felt in better shape than I ever had before. Yes. Uh, and, and I have to attribute it to that extra weight that I was you know I wasn't just carrying what I needed for the day, but like I said, everything those all those what ifs that you need to have gear for. Uh, you're not just you know you don't know that you're going to need snowshoes, but you're going to bring them. You don't know that you may need. You don't know if you're going to need spikes, but you better carry them. Yes. Yeah. And and additionally, of course, you're also carrying extra layers of clothing that you might not have. Otherwise, my pack, my winter pack weighs more than my summer pack. Um, so my all boots. Those, yeah, all <laughs> right. those things uh, accumulate, and uh, it's something you need to get used to. And even for us, the very first time we go out on snowshoes, um it's a little bit different. And th those are, those are long hikes, especially this year because we had like 25 inches of snow. <laughs> yeah. Which unfortunately vanished. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which, and which caused a lot of the problems, right? It came as it left almost as fast as it got here. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, I live in the Binghamton area. We had some flooding here as a result of it. Oh, you guys got the most amount of snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the other thing that, that we do want to talk about here when it comes to our, our preparation and our condition is, is talking about uh, navigation. Um, and this is not meant to be a, a map and compass class by any means, but we strongly encourage people to do take a map and compass class. Um, one of the things that will happen when you get um, snow in the mountains is that it will actually cover up um, old tracks. It will cover up uh, trail markers. So you really want to have an, uh, an ability to navigate. And that uh, ability to navigate is best done by map and compass, because we're not saying don't use a GPS, don't use an app. And, and in fact, we do. Um, but you need to have a backup plan. Uh, should the batteries fail, in a GPS or in a in an on an app on your phone, and that means having map and compass knowledge. So we think that's critically important before you go out in the winter that you have that knowledge. And the club occasionally does do map and compass classes. We've 
had to cancel the one that we scheduled for last year, unfortunately, due to COVID. But I know that, uh, generally speaking, a guide service um, will be willing to talk about map and compass training. Uh, many of the hike leaders in the Catskill 3500 Club will be glad to give you navigation pointers on a guided hike. So there's, there's different ways to, I mean, I've even seen YouTube videos where you can sort of learn the basics of map and compass navigation. Yeah, I, I always recommend to people, I, I've, I have map and compass skills, but they're rusty. And I always recommend that people use them because it's yeah. a skill that you'll, you'll, you can easily forget. And uh, well, sometimes I get a little too reliant on, on my GPS. <laughs> it, it's usually very difficult to figure out where you are say if your GPS dies and, you know, you can whip out your map and compass, but if you don't have any idea where you are, that's, you know, it's going to be very difficult to figure out where you are, especially if you're trying to use uh, like, you know, the triangulation of two or three different mountains and you can't see any mountains because there's so many trees around you. Right. Well, so there, there's two aspects of this. One is practice, practice, practice all the time. And if nothing else, occasionally refer to your map and compass to figure out where you are. So that if you do have a problem, you're not going to be too far off base. And I, I like that you mentioned that. I mean, a habit I have, whether I'm on a trail in the Catskills, I've, I've hiked the Long Trail in Vermont, and just out of habit over the, of years of doing this, I'd like to stop and pull out my map and see exactly where I'm at. Yes. And, but- and you make the point, if your GPS dies on you and you haven't been doing that, uh, yeah, it can be especially appro- uh, applicable to a bushwhack, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I totally agree with doing that. And, and it really can help people to um, not only keep their map and compass skills, but even to begin their map and compass skills by looking at a map and then looking at their compass. And when they get to an intersection on a trail, for example, they've got their map and compass out and they say their their compass tells them, that uh, they should go west and they can start down the trail and they can see that, yes, that trail is is a bearing to the west. Um, and, and so I, I totally agree with what you're doing, that that's an excellent way to do it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the two of you. You teach this class with the Catskill 3500 Club or for the Catskill 3500 Club. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, this was our 10th year, I believe. And... Um... Last Saturday, we had the class via Zoom, and it was recorded. Uh, I haven't seen that the recording is available online yet, but keep checking the uh, Catskill 3500 webpage or Facebook page, and uh, that should show up any day now. Of course, maybe by the time people are hearing this, it'll be out there, and you can amend this. I was actually... uh... Hoping to get this in before it got too warm out. I was joking with my wife earlier. I'm saying, you know, if we don't do this soon enough, it's going to be March. <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, summer hiking. But uh, We, we yeah, don't know how it of- turned out. Um, we've always done it in a face-to-face format in the past. So this was our first option in doing it. Um, yeah. uh, we did have a Zoom expert helping us, so it should be pretty good. So we, we hope there's still lots of useful information there. Well, I, I've attended that class, and I can – give you my testimony that it is worth it. Uh, Thank you. If you weren't able to attend, you should absolutely watch the Zoom. And what we're doing here with this podcast is we're giving you an overview, but I am sure you get fo- much more into detail in, in the class you're teaching. And, and yeah, we, we won't be able to show you any uh, how-tos in this class here. 
Right. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of visuals involved in what you do. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, hopefully people will find this information um, that they can, this will get them started. I mean, with me, that class gave me the confidence to go ahead and get started. Uh, and I think that that's the other part of it. You can learn how to do it. And if you're somebody that's never went or hiked, I think you can walk out of there with some confidence saying, okay, I can do this. I know what I need to do to stay safe and be success, have a successful hike. And for some people, I think that's that first step, that that apprehension is, that does sound kind of dangerous. But it I can think be you do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, you know, there are definitely more risks in the wintertime. There's just no two ways about it. Um, I recently, someone said in sort of a whiny tone on Facebook, why should I buy um, snowshoes? They're so expensive. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, if you were going to go skydiving, wouldn't you want the best equipment? <laughs> you want to make sure the plane had been serviced and that someone had inspected your parachute and you had all the right gear. You know, you wouldn't just jump out of the plane and hope for the best, right? Right. Yeah, we joke sometimes. You want to guarantee we don't need to use snowshoes? Bring them with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. If you don't bring them with you, you know, that's what all your winter gear. You want to guarantee you you'll need them? Well, leave them in the car. Then, yeah. But uh, yeah, and like we said, yeah, some people I think are just. I don't know. I, we had our own situation last year that I'm going to share quickly. It, one of the one one of the people in our group got hurt bad enough where we had to turn around and go back to the car. Fortunately, it was an upper body injury. We were able to divvy up the gear, and, and, it, and it was a bushwhack. We were able to get back to the trail and safely and as comfortably as possible for for the injured person back to the car. But we couldn't help but think afterwards, and we talked about this. You know, we were prepared for that. You know, we had what we needed, but what, if, you know, you know, we had the proper traction gear and, you know, we had, we carry space blankets with us and, you know, the extra things you might want to have on a winter hike, extra clothing, but how bad that could have gone, how that could have gone wrong if we weren't prepared, that that yeah. could have ended up worse. Or if it was a broken leg and the person was in mobile and we weren't prepared. Yes. Um, and it yeah. shouldn't be intimidating, but it's just a matter of be prepared before you go out there. Take the right, do the right preparation. Thankfully, neither one of us has ever been injured severely on a hike, but we do know people that have had concussions and broken legs and, you know, so knowing knowing what to do in an emergency situation is very important. We didn't really talk about that much yet, but there are classes you can take on being a wilderness first aider or wilderness first responder. And uh, well, I'll let Lori expound on that. She's a nurse. Yeah, I'd like to hear about that because it's, I've been a bit a big advocate of that. It was 22 years in scouts, and wow, that's such a big part of going out into the woods is, is being being prepared with first aid knowledge. So, Lori, if you'd please. Um, yes, I, I think it's very important that uh, at least somebody in your group has um, taken a first aid class or, or perhaps is some kind of a medical professional. The other thing that even if you haven't done those things, you should prepare yourself for by doing some research on the uh, what happens in an, uh, when a person becomes hypothermic or frostbite, because you want to recognize the signs of both of those things in particular um, in the winter woods, and you want to know what to do about them. So for example, the person who becomes hypothermic in the winter woods oftentimes we say they get the umbles, they stumble, their speech stumbles. They mumble. Um, they, they mumble. And they start to fumble and stumble and hopefully not 
tumble. Uh, and, and, and you need to, what you need to do in that case probably is to get them warmed and get them getting them warmed as quickly as possible. And, and that might mean um, adding layers. It may mean actually taking off wet layers that they may have on, putting dry layers on, keeping them moving. It's possible. It could mean um, giving them warm liquids if you have them. And the same thing when it comes to frostbite. You want to be uh, recognizing the symptoms of frostbite. Uh, I will always remember a quick story of a friend of ours um, who had taken his glasses off because they were uh, fogging up a great deal, and he had his face mask on. And um, finally, he couldn't see well without the glasses, so he pulled the face mask down and put his glasses back on. And that solved the problem of his glasses fogging up. But after about 10 or 15 minutes, I turned to speak to him and I realized the side of his nose had turned a clear white patch. And that, of course, was frostbite. And I was like, oh, my gosh, John, your nose and immediately started, you know, warming his nose. Um, so you want to make sure that you um, at least have those kinds of first aid skills in the winter woods. Very important. Well, Tom and Lori, uh, we, we're going to do a, another part of this. We're going to make this into a three-part series. If you guys are, hopefully you guys are up for that. I think oh, yeah. our listeners would love to hear more about this. Uh, in the next segment, we'll cover clothing and gear. Yes. Uh, and again, <laughs> I mean, all parts of this. We went over this before we started talking, and there's nothing on this list that I look at that we discussed that is not essential to winter backpacking. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, I'll just throw in a few quick things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a cell phone, they recommend you keep it in airplane mode. Um, take a group selfie at the trailhead. So in case you do get separated, the, the rangers will know that your companion had a pink hat on and a green vest kind of thing. Um, take pictures of the kiosks. So you have the emergency numbers handy and, and, and or maps. And, uh, you know, keep those numbers in your cell phone. And uh, I guess that was all we wanted to cover from, from that aspect. That's great. And I just want to add to this, anybody who's listening and is considering winter hiking, don't be intimidated by it. Just be prepared. Yes. Have fun. Have fun. If you're prepared, you will have fun. Exactly. I love winter hiking. Uh, <laughs> we obviously do, too. Right. I mean, we were out there last year. Uh, last week there was fresh snow up on the tr up on the ridge. Uh, it started snowing while we were up there. It's a lot of fun. Yes, we loved it. All right, Tom and Lori, thank you, and we will be talking soon. Okay, thank All you. Right. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please feel free to leave a review. If you found it helpful or useful or just entertaining, let us know. We can be contacted at PapaBearHikes at gmail dot com or check us out. Papa Bear Hikes 01 on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Get outside and have a great day. This episode of Papa Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. 
For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.